Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tonight on the Cover One Buffalo podcast, we are going to be joined by Evan Lazar to break down Patriots Week. But first, our guys, Handsome Jack. Broadcasting live to Bill's Mafia Worldwide with Greg Thompson and Aaron Quinn. Welcome to the NFL. Doesn't matter what's happened before today. Today's a brand new day. It's a brand new season. Your number one podcast for objective Buffalo Bills coverage. No matter where you are, we got you covered. Good evening and welcome to the Cover One Buffalo Podcast. You are joining your host, Greg Thompson, along with my partner in crime, Aaron yeah. Quinn. Aaron, it's Patriots Week. How are we doing? You know, I'm doing good. Patriots Week doesn't quite have the feel to it that it did. You, you don't get quite as many text messages as you used to? It's very quiet from my New England friends. Uh, I, I think they're all onto the Celtics, to be honest, the ones that I talked to. So I don't even, it's not even as fun uh, in terms of get, being able to talk trash or anything like that. Um, but I understand why. Uh, and so I'm, I'm actually excited to have our guest on and sort of break down this Patriots team. Cause none of my friends were willing to take my calls this week and break down the, this Patriots matchup with me. So at least we mandated having to come on here. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have some fun here and, and talk a little bit and we can even ask him coming from, mm-hmm. you know, covering a team where expectations made it very, very difficult to, to balance things out. It's, it's a fun way to do it, but we'll, we'll talk through, I know there's been a lot of frustration about expectations and, and being able to put together consistency. And I think there's always a balance between acknowledging that things can be better. There are more things that we can be doing to, increase efficiency to be able to improve consistency but there does seem to be a lack of perspective on what we're seeing and that there's a gap between could be even better and fire this bum we need (laughs) we need somebody else calling plays and it's it's always tough to be able to balance that out it's tough to balance that and it's tough to have those conversations on twitter or x um like all week we've been getting grilled for showing the EPA, showing DVOA, showing these data points that aren't just like baseless volume data yards and things like that. These are parts of data that have context and we're comparing them to the league and league wide and trying to explain that, Hey, well, offense and scoring's kind of down league wide all around. And so uh, you're going to have some of these weeks and also being able to frame it in that way, but also say like, Yes, I'm, I'm not sitting here making an excuse. I'm not trying to be a homer. There are things they're leaving on the table. Yeah, it course. is not perfect. There's things to clean up. It, the offense is a work in progress. 
But while it's a work in progress, it's still good. And no, we shouldn't be asking the coach if he should <laughs> remove play calling duties from Ken Dorsey or fire your offensive coordinator midseason to hand the job over to Joe Brady, who has not really proven to be a successful NFL head uh, or play caller. And so those are the conversations that we're trying to combat. But then it's just met with the inability to have that nuance of like, well, yeah, it isn't perfect, but it's still good. Right. And it's still good when you compare it to the rest of the league and you're going to have some stinker games. And that's why, to your point, I'm glad to have Evan on here because we watched a lot of Patriots games. I think everybody remembers those high end games that they had, but they had games where they didn't meet their own expectations and having to deal with that type of stuff. And maybe we're just still so new to this that we're struggling to get to the point of dealing with having high expectations and not meeting them every single week. Yeah. So without further ado, let's bring on our friend and frequent guest of the show, Evan Lazar. Evan, how are we doing, sir? I'm doing good, guys. That that was like a trip down memory lane for me just now, just listening to <laughs> you guys talk about that. It, it reminds me of the good old days. And now we're going to talk about uh, the one in five Patriots. I, I still feel like sometimes I'm saying it backwards, right? Like I'm supposed to be saying five and one Patriots, but I'm really saying the one in five Patriots, but I, I find the whole thing that you guys were just talking about uh, more fascinating, honestly, than the, the team I, I currently cover. So I'm fun to talk about it. Well, I, I mean, talk about it a little bit. I mean, I, honestly, I, and it's different. I think once you do win a Super Bowl, let alone multiple, um, there comes a yeah. great deal more benefit of the doubt, a, a great deal more leash on what's going on. But you, you experience some of this, especially some of those stretches in between uh, so, some of the, the Super Bowl years where a lot of questions were being asked based on what that measuring stick was. And I think you had an interesting perspective on that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I, I took go back to Brady's last year in 2019, the famous quote that he said going into a uh, primetime game against the Lamar Jackson Baltimore Ravens was I'm the most miserable 8-0 quarterback in the NFL. So the Patriots were 8-0 going into that game. They had a dominant defense the first half of the season, but Brady knew deep down that it wasn't good enough, that it, once they got into the playoffs that their offense wasn't performing well enough and they had had a lot of issues already with some of the stuff that they're having issues with now, you know, lack of weapons, lack of continuity, things like that. And he knew that comparing it to – even just the year before in 18, but 16 and 14 and 04 and 03 and 01, he knew that it wasn't Super Bowl caliber. Like he knew it wasn't at that type of level and they weren't going to win a championship if that's how they were going to play. So what ended up actually happening, I think with the Patriots over the years is that we were comparing the Patriots to the Patriots. Like we weren't comparing the Patriots to the other 31 teams in the league. We were comparing the Patriots of 2019 to the Patriots of 2018 or 2016 and saying to ourselves and on our shows and stuff, well, back when they won the Super Bowl in 16, like it looked like this and now it looks like that. And like, you know, those things I think will become more difficult because you do have to keep it in perspective of you're playing this season and this group of teams and this, you know, schedule and this path to a championship and sometimes you can get caught up in well what's the best Patriots team and was this Patriots team better than that Patriots team and then you get into this whole thing uh, when in reality all they have to do is be who's on their schedule yeah and sort of 
in that vein, when you have high end performances like that uh, on your schedule, talk about how hard like in your day. I remember a lot of those Patriots games, especially the games against the Bills, where it would just be almost perfection on offense from Brady and not being able to stop him. But you watch back that Bills Giants game, I'm sure. I don't have historical DVOA yeah. since Aaron Schatz hasn't transitioned all the historical DVOA over yet. I was going to try to look back through some of those Patriots years. Do you remember some like just real stinker performances where shutout in the first half type of thing? And in it, maybe in some of those runs, are there any of those performances where you were watching this Bills game being like, oh, yeah, I kind of saw that from really good Patriots teams also? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that 19 season is littered with them. If you want to even just go back that far. Uh, that whole season, I know they didn't win a Super Bowl at the end of the year, but that that was still the Brady Patriots, and they were coming off a Super Bowl. And that entire team, you know, all year long struggled on offense. There were other years as well. Uh, you know, 2006 was sort of like the first year that it really happened where the offense struggled. They made it all the way to the AFC Championship game. They had a lead at halftime over the Colts and Peyton Manning in Indianapolis and uh, lost in the second half of the game. And, uh, you know, their offense was up and down that year. 2013 was another big one. Uh, they had some rookie receivers. Uh, Gronk got hurt, started hurt, got hurt again, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, they they had an up and down offense, uh, you know, just trying to think of like individual games. I remember in 19, uh, they played the Eagles in early, you know, maybe seven, week seven, week eight of that season, something like that. And uh, it was just an absolute rock fight. Like, it, it was just an absolute rock fight. No, but neither team could move the ball, but the Eagles weren't really expected to move the ball, and the Patriots kind of were. And uh, they actually ended up winning the game essentially on a trick play. You know, Julian Edelman threw a touchdown pass uh, to Philip Dorsett uh, in the second half that essentially won the game for them. And, and they had to do that because they just – they had to find a way to move the ball. Like they, they really just didn't have the offense otherwise to, to move the ball and win that game. So it wasn't all perfect. I mean, I think that's what we all remember it by now uh, here as well. We just remember all the perfect times and all the games where, you know, Brady magic at the end, or, you know, just scoring 50 points or something like that. But in general, I think what made the Patriots so great. And I think this is something that, you know, the bills are kind of searching for. And I think they did it uh, honestly, uh, against the Giants last week, you're not going to have your 98 mile an hour fastball every single week. So in order to, you know, go on a run in the postseason, especially you have to be able to win games in different ways. Like some weeks it's going to be a, a shootout. Some weeks it might be a defensive battle. Some weeks you might be playing in weather. Like those are the different types of things that when you have to play three or four games to win a championship in a postseason run, it can't all be your, your a game the, all the way through. Like that's just not how it ever goes. And like the Patriots as people know have watched all their Super Bowls like their Super Bowls all were close they all took on different lives of their own and like 18 is a perfect example uh you know AFC championship game against Kansas City it's Brady Mahomes toe-to-toe into overtime I think it was 36 30 was the final score it was a shootout then they go into the Super Bowl they win it 13 to 3 right in like a completely defensive battle in the Super Bowl and if you can't be able to win you know different ways uh, then it gets really tough to string the playoff wins together in succession because you are going to run into different types of games. So you're saying tr- we need trick plays. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's what I'm taking out of that. <laughs> that was the main takeaway. That was the main takeaway. Had their, their, they, they had some few trick plays up their sleeve. I mean, people uh, yeah. remember like the drop in, in the Super Bowl against the Eagles when Brady dropped the uh, – the double reverse pass, but like they always had some trick plays like 14 in Baltimore Edelman threw a touchdown pass in the divisional round of that game mm-hmm. to Danny. You guys did to us a couple times for sure too. Yeah. I remember so, yeah, so many games yeah. on the other end of you, of your experience, Evan, in that just ugly, nasty games that the Patriots didn't deserve to win. Just and they always found away. a way to yeah. win and be able to go through there. And now being in a position with games like Sunday where it was ugly and I don't know that the Bills were even the better team on the field. If they, if the Giants execute at the end of the first half, if they execute a little bit better at the end of the game, they probably should have won that game. But being in a position where we can't appreciate the fact that, hey, they came back twice and had to come back. They came back, took the lead, gave it up again, came back and took the lead again and found a way to win yeah. is okay to survive and move along and be able to, to recognize that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially in the course of the regular season, when all you're really trying to do is stack wins together and like worry about how it looks in terms of like the, the style points. Uh, once you get to the end of the year, like the Patriots all their whole thing. And this is, I think something that really has uh, this, this iteration of the Patriots, the post Brady Patriots have not, been able to replicate this the Patriots were always better post Thanksgiving like that they were hit their stride post Thanksgiving and and Belichick would always say real football starts after Thanksgiving because they didn't want to peak in October you know they wanted to peak in in January so uh that that was a big thing and this Patriots team last year the year before that in 21 they're horrible in the second half of the year so that's just another thing that that has kind of gone by the wayside with Brady yeah, and I think most good teams do, right? You're working through stuff. Eric Turner uh, talks about it all the time on the offense. It's not a finished product right now. Even the defense switching over to McDermott is not a finished product. So those are great points here. Uh, getting into this matchup, Evan, before we get into yeah. sides of the ball, though, real quick, uh, I obviously the Bills have a pretty long injury list here coming up, um, and we can read that off to people. But I want to talk about what's what's this Patriots injury report here looking like before we dig into the sides of the ball. Do we need to like split it up into so, two different screens? To it's a lot it of all? names. Yeah, so you, you do. Like, I and is it a tank injury for, list? Yeah, right. Like, I literally had to pay for Twitter Blue just to like fit the the injury <laughs> list all in one tweet. Uh, it's yeah. so there. There's 20 players on the Patriots injury report, which is essentially like 40 percent of their active roster is on mm. the injury report. Now, the guys that are listed as limited, those ones are usually. Belichick 
mind games, right? Like it's usually like Brady was limited with a shoulder injury for like six years. You know, <laughs> like it was just they, they just would put stuff like that on there and like veteran guys that they maybe weren't, uh, you know, didn't want to overwork and practice because they had little bumps and bruises and stuff like that. So some of those guys might not end up playing if they really are are, are hurt. But I think, you know, between the 14 thing, I think it is, you know, limited guys. I would say like 12 or 13 of them will probably play in the game. Uh, the guys that are out, though, that, that haven't been in practice the last couple of days are, are some big names as well. I mean, you're looking at their starting left tackle, Trent Brown, uh, Hunter Henry, who got rolled up on in the game last week, and that doesn't look like a great injury. Jonathan Jones, who's uh, working through injury. Josh Uche is working through multiple injuries. Uh, those guys are, are more iffy right now. And the this Patriots team, I, I mean, like, look, they have a lot of issues and it's not the main reason why they're one in five, but it is a part of their story uh, that they've been really injured this year. And I know Buffalo's had some injuries too, uh, but, you know, losing a guy like Matthew Judon, for example, um, and Christian Gonzalez, their first round pick uh, the, for a team that doesn't have a whole lot of blue chip talent like those two guys being out for the season essentially has been a huge blow to this football team yeah imagine going back i'll get to the defensive matchup in a minute but imagine going back and telling you that going from a rookie cornerback to jc jackson was going to be a terrifying transition <laughs> yeah. yeah it's you know it's so disappointing with gonzalez because uh, the patriots like you can really go back through their first round draft picks almost uh, a full decade and be like ugh, like yeah. you know malcolm brown so, dominique easily Nikhil harry uh cole strange right like it's just not very pretty and then they finally hit on christian gonzalez they finally got a guy that can clearly play and has a ton of natural talent. And then in week four of the season, he tears his labrum. He's out for the year. So that that's like sort of the, the run that they're on right now in terms of the bad luck. At least there, it's not a, you know, knee ankle kind of thing where you're worried about the long-term yeah, and, and athleticism. His, obviously yeah. his long-term potential looks very, very legit. So at least you have that coming back. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So let's yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> You needed that tonight, right? Uh, yeah. Let, let's pick back off of sort of that injury report. Start on the offensive side of the ball with that offensive line, because obviously with the Trevor Brown injury, we'll start with this offensive line. To me, watching the Patriots team, obviously um, Mac Jones takes the brunt of what is wrong in New England in the offense, and he had deserves a fair share of what is going on. But I always am a big firm believer in the cliche. It's one on the line of scrimmage. And I've consistently seen in watching Patriots games, the offensive line losing the line of scrimmage. And it is just such a thing that for years, those championship Patriots teams always won the line of scrimmage, even when other, you didn't have the weapons and things like that. So it's so weird to see you guys rolling out a Patriots Jersey, losing the battle at the line of scrimmage. Sort of talk about this unit as a whole, how it's coming together this year and, and sort of what's going on right up there in front. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, we're uh, the Patriots, I, I said we because I now work for the team. The Patriots are yeah. putting uh, Dante Scarnecchia in the Patriots Hall of Fame on Saturday uh, this week uh, before the Bills be. game. And uh, Mike Vrabel's coming up. He's going in as, as the player uh, that's going in this year. But uh, Mr. Kraft, Robert Kraft, the Patriots owner, I, he 
invoked executive privilege in the spring and said, I'm going to like circumvent all this voting crap. And we're putting Dante Scarnecchia in the team hall of fame this year. You know, that's, I'm doing that. And uh, that is, you know, out of all of the pillars that we talk about so much, Belichick, Brady, um, the two ones that I don't think I get talked about enough are Dante Scarnecchia and Ernie Adams and Dante Scarnecchia uh, was their offensive line coach uh, for 20 plus years. He predated Belichick in the organization. He predated Bill Parcells and Robert Kraft in the organization, right? So he goes all the way back to the 80s with the Patriots. And uh, he's no longer uh, the offensive line coach. He's retired now and obviously, like, good for him. You know, <laughs> he coached for, like, 40 years and should be retired. But uh, the Patriots have had a, a little bit of a time, uh, you know, replacing him at, at this point and getting good offensive line play. Carmen Brasillo, who's the offensive line coach with the Raiders, uh, he had a good, like, year-and-a-half run with Josh McDaniels, and then McDaniels took him. Uh, with him to Vegas. So that left a void that made Matt Patricia the offensive line coach last year. We all remember how fun that was. And then this year, uh, the Patriots uh, hired Adrian Clem, who uh, was with Oregon uh, the year before in college and then was with Pittsburgh before that. So Adrian Clem's come out of, uh, under a little bit of fire here because of the play of the line. But I think it's fair context to put out there that in the spring, in the summer, they did not have Michael Onwenu, who's probably their best offensive lineman. They then mm-hmm. lose Cole Strange literally 20 minutes into the first padded practice of training camp. Cole Strange goes down with a knee injury. So your two starting guards out for the summer. Missed the entire training camp. So that's start, start, you know, kind of point one. And point two was that they had this hole at right tackle. Last year, their right tackles were miserable. They played like four or five different guys at that spot. They never found somebody that could hold down the spot. This year, this offseason, their answer at right tackle was Riley Reef, who is 34 years old and was the sixth offensive lineman in Chicago. And based off the film with the Bears last year was over the hill, like just didn't really have much left in the tank. So they bring him in to play right tackle. He gets hurt in the final preseason game of the of the uh, summer. And I should also say he struggled so much at tackle that they ended up actually moving him already inside to guard before he even got hurt. Right. So he was already out as the right tackle before we even got to the fa- the point that he got hurt. So then he gets hurt. So now you have, you're down three guys already before you've even played a game that you are projecting to start for you this season. And it's just been a consistent revolving door of injuries, guys in and out of the lineup, guys coming back and then having setbacks or new injuries or whatever. Uh, Onwenu dressed last week but didn't play a snap, and uh, Belichick confirmed after the game that he was only available on an emergency basis. So he's hurt. Strange still hasn't played. He was ruled out before we even traveled to Vegas last weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, Riley Reef is back on the injury report as a DNP. So essentially uh, what's happened with the Patriots offensive line is a combination of uh, changing of the guard at the coaching staff level, injuries. And then I would also just say not, you know, because Belichick doesn't deserve the cop out right now. Uh, the, the addressing the tackle position in the off season was piss poor, like Riley reef and Calvin Anderson being your two right tackle choices going into the season was not good enough. And we all kind of knew that going in and, 
unfortunately, that's how it's played out for a Patriots fan. So uh, this was a negligence thing with the talent on the offensive line. And it was also just a, a bad luck run of injuries and just circumstances that have led us to the point where they have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. And I, I don't think that that's a, an exaggeration to say that. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, no, I think you're right. To be fair, I don't think there's a lot of tackles in the world uh, or even good ones, especially on right tackles. We had the same argument, even though Spencer Brown's playing good now. There was the argument for our offseason of trying to upgrade or get insurance there and it was kind of like where you know there's not a lot of them out there yeah. but yeah that, our answer yeah. was Jermaine Effetti so. correct <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah. this trickle this is a huge trickle effect and I think it's really the point of contention for this whole offense and I want to it, it spills right over into this running game because I, I was joking a little bit earlier about uh, Patriots fans not picking up my phone calls I still got a couple of them and there's concern about Ramondre Stevenson when I'm talking to Patriots fans and when I'm looking yeah. I don't see a difference in Ramondre himself but it's I think what you're seeing is the difference in the offensive line and a poor performing offensive line trying to run behind that. Can you talk about Stevenson and Zeke in this run game? And is it the running backs? Is it the play calling style or is it just the trickle effect of this offensive line sort of being a makeshift one right now? Yeah, I definitely think it's it's mainly the offensive line. Like if I had to hand out the blame pie, it'd probably be like 75% the line. Um, but I would also hand out a little bit of blame to the the way that they've schemed up the running game, or I, I should really say the lack of scheme. Uh, they're pretty like straightforward. Like we're just going to kind of run duo and inside zone right at you sort of running game. They don't have a mobile quarterback, so that's not really a factor. And up until, uh, you know, the first five weeks, I think last week they did a much better job of incorporating jet motion and, you know, end arounds and uh, some different things like that with their receivers getting involved in the run game to try to open it up a little bit on the inside. But they have struggled so much running off tackle, running outside, you know, crack tosses, outside zone, things like that, uh, that everybody just packs the middle of the field and waits for you to run it right at them. And uh, Ramondre Stevenson and, and Zeke have just been running into a brick wall. Uh, so the, last week they did a, nice, a better job, I would say, of trying to get the ball outside by hitting those jet sweeps and things like that. And then obviously using like the ghost motions and stuff like that to, to show the jet sweep and show the eye candy, but then end up running it up the middle of the field. Now, the question is, is was that a product of the Raiders run defense, which isn't very good, or did right. they actually make some progress in the second half against the Raiders in the run game? I, that's going to be uh, determined this week, I, I guess against uh, Buffalo, but with Ramondre specifically, I think what people miss is that 
it's a lot easier to break tackles when you're already moving forward, right? Like when you already have momentum to to like, you know, stack moves together and break tackles just by running through arm tackles and that, you know, the old world, you know, the the contact balance that we all talk about during draft season so much, Mm -hmm. like it's much easier to do all those different things um, when you have a head of steam. And for him, I think a lot of it has been, he hasn't been as effective. And I know you're going to, you know, this is right up your guys' alley, uh, running from the gun uh, because, you know, he's, uh, you know, not, he's a bigger back. He's 225 pounds. And when you're kind of getting the ball at a standstill versus getting that lead and that run up to the line of scrimmage, that has hurt him a little bit. And then he's also getting contacted a lot sooner than he was last year. So uh, that has, I think, added up a lot of different things. But I think what the disappointing part is with Ramondre is, A, you know, he's one of their more talented offensive players, if not their most talented offensive players. So they need him to be good. Like they can't afford him to to have a down year. And, and I think that it's also trickled into like the passing game element of his game which last year wasn't necessarily explosive, but he was a nice little safety blanket for Mac Jones to dump the ball off and pick up first downs that way. And now he's been regressing as a pass catcher as well, I think because he's not in a rhythm in the run game. So all of that has really led to a ton of issues because they've dropped back the pass way too much because they're, they can't run the ball. They're getting down in games early. And then all of a sudden you're getting into these games where Mac is passing 40, 50 times. And that's just not a way, way to live if you're the Patriots and it invites the pressure and it puts a lot on Mac's plate. And that's how we get to where we are. Yeah, right. Because the way you guys have been able to sort of stay at least competitive and in the hunt for playoffs, even without Tom Brady, is like really grinding uh, away. You're not yeah. passing and beating teams that way. It's grinding. I mean, so not being able to do that clearly hurts. Uh, here, last one on the offensive side of the ball, and I'm going to just package it sort of all together because we know about Mac Jones now and the struggles that he's having. But you guys have added some weapons, but not maybe quite enough on the in the pass catchers. Can we just kind of package the whole passing game in as one and talk about sort of what's going on? And I'm assuming that to your point, it's a trickle effect from what we just talked about, the offensive line spilling into the run game and then that spilling in to not putting them in great positions to when you have a quarterback like Mac Jones getting into bad, you know, behind the sticks types of situations aren't good. And you got to be ahead of the sticks, short passing stuff. Is that really all this is, yeah. or is Mac just not the guy and you got to find something else? I think it's a combination of all of those things. I, <laughs> I think the biggest thing is, is that the protection has, has been at times terrible, you know, like they're giving up, like 50% pressure rates on Mac Mm -hmm. Jones in some of these games, like against Dallas, uh, Dallas had 50% pressure rate on his dropbacks. Micah Parsons had 10 hurries in that game. And uh, you know, they're just getting after Mac Jones. And I think that's a big thing. Like he's not a Josh Allen type quarterback. That's just going to run out of pressure and then like make some, you know, ridiculous like off platform throw and, and make things happen. So if he's not protected, and he can't step into throws and he doesn't have time to process the defense and get it out to the right guy and things like that, that that's his whole game. Like his whole game is predicated on his feet and eyes. And if his feet and eyes aren't in the right places and aren't doing the right things, then he's not going to be very good. Like he's just not physically talented enough to be good if those things are going wrong. So that's, I think the Mac part of it is what I'm seeing. Footwork has been uh, pretty miserable all year long. Just, you know, 
uh, happy feet in the pocket, not stepping into throws, uh, throwing from narrow or just like awkward bases that he can't really drive the ball down the field. And he just doesn't have the arm talent to just, you know, kind of throw it off his back foot all the time or something like that. And then his eyes have, you know, really regressed. I would say just in terms of his reads and uh, getting to the open guy, like he's locking into the initial read and the first read or locking into guys like Hunter Henry, who kind of are like his reliables and, you know, just kind of looking at those guys and not seeing the whole field and things like that. So uh, he's not playing good. Like I don't think that it's, um, you know, he's absolved of any blame, but at the same time, I would say, you know, when you put all of it together, and you really think about the the pass protection, the lack of weapons in the passing game, the lack of running game. Like if you're not a super, super talented guy at the quarterback position, I just don't really know like how you're supposed to succeed given these circumstances. And, and that's on Bill, right? Like that's on Bill Belichick and that's on how they built this roster. Uh, their big offseason acquisitions in the passing game were Juju Smith-Schuster and Mike Kosicki. Uh, that that was what they brought in to to try to upgrade this passing game, and it wasn't like we're adding that to what we already have. It's we're subtracting Jacoby Myers and we're adding Juju Smith-Schuster. So they went backwards in that respect. Devontae Parker's come out of you know a ton of criticism for dropping that pass at the end of the game last week against the Raiders, and then kind of not really owning up to it after the game all that much. And uh, you know so he's under a lot of. Uh, Key from the fan base. Tyquan Thornton's been a complete bust as a second round pick so far. Right. And, uh, you know, this is just like all of it has kind of gone belly up on offense where none of the personnel decisions that they've made have panned out. None of the draft picks on that side of the ball really have panned out in recent years. And so now you just have a talent void where they just don't have very many good players on that side of the ball. So flipping to the other side of the ball, obviously what's been the consistent hallmark for Belichick for so long has been the defense. And I think obviously some of it you touched on, you can't look at the recent results without taking into account losing, you know, pillars like Matt Judon and and honestly, Christian Gonzalez, even early on as a rookie, still giving them that weapon, but you certainly don't expect to look and see, Oh, 24th in the league in points given up and you know having a run of 38 and 34 points you know the last time I I literally don't know the last time a Belichick team gave up 72 points in a two-game stretch um on an overall standpoint how much of that do you think is just kind of one of those snowball effect things when when they get going the wrong direction versus just some of those injuries exposing that hey maybe it's not quite as deep as it had been before because I know like some of the draft things it People were ecstatic, rightfully, I think, with the first three picks with Gonzalez and Keon White and Marte Mapu. I think there was yeah. a ton of depth still. When you look at the names on the depth chart, it still looks like a good defense to me. Why isn't that translating? Well, I, I think that, you know, in general, what's really happened in the last couple of weeks is Matthew Judon gets hurt in Dallas is going to be out for a long time. My guess is that Matthew Judon's not going to come back this season. Like if the Patriots somehow miraculously go on a winning streak and they're back in playoff contention and it's December, he might come back. Like that's sort of the the rumors right now, but they're probably not headed in that in that way. So why bring him back to be on a two and nine football team or something like that late in the year? But when Matthew Judon got injured, their pass rush has just completely disappeared with Judon. You know, he's 
first four games of the season, they had 10 sacks, like a 38% pressure rate. Now in the last two games without Judon, they've only had two sacks and a 27% pressure rate. So their pressure rate has declined by 10%. And it's not because of a lack of trying. Like they've tried to blitz, especially uh, Derek Carr and and the Saints. They blitzed like almost 50% of the time and didn't get home. Like they just didn't get any pressure on the quarterback. So they no longer have like any one-on-one winners besides Josh Uche, who's having a little bit of a slow start. So it's really just a tough time uh, in terms of generating pass rush. And, and then when you look at the secondary, uh, it's pretty much the same group as last year, but uh, there's a big, or, you know, like, you know, JC coming back, I would say what it was last year and what it was in 21, like that it's pretty comparable in terms of the talent now with JC back in the mix, JC Jackson, uh, but they're missing a big one. And that that's Devin McCourty who retired uh, obviously at the end of last year. His last game was the game in Buffalo last year. And uh, when he retired, they, they didn't really have a, and this kind of goes back to some of the Belichick GMing, you know, missteps. They never drafted a free safety to have waiting in the wings for Devin McCourty's eventual retirement. So Devin McCourty retires. They're a defense that loves to play single high post safety, and they don't have a post safety to play single high anymore. So it's like, now what do you do? You're putting guys like Kyle Duggar and Jabril Peppers who are really box safeties and play better closer to the line of scrimmage. They have to be 12 yards off the ball at the snap of the play now because they're they're the new Devin McCourty's. And so they've given up a lot of plays that I think that if Devin had been there, uh, at you know, at least, especially at his peak, but even, you know, late career Devin, they might not have given up as many of those deep balls that they've given up uh, so far this year, just because he would have been there, right? Like he would have been in the right spots. And uh, those guys are, are good players, but they're not necessarily uh, familiar with playing that spot in the defense. And so they look a little bit lost back there at times. So that's been huge in terms of the secondary. I think what's disappointing about the defense is that they're still okay defensively. They're like 12th or 13th in DVOA on defense. Like They're not a terrible defense, but I think everybody was hoping and expecting that they were going to take that next step to that, you know, kind of like how Cleveland has this year where they, you know, with Gonzalez, they were going to kind of be dominant on defense. And now they're just sort of, okay again you know Belichick will keep them like in you know the upper part of the league still like that's one side of the ball he still has a good feel for uh, but they're not going to be the dominant defense that they needed to be to win enough enough games to be like a playoff team or something like that and I think part of the one of the things that strikes me is the the flashes, the excitement, the buzz, specifically around Keon White and Marte Mapu in the in training camp and in the preseason, yeah. seemed to match. Like they were they were buzzy names in the draft. They the you know I think that the Patriots got a great value on White, and then you know kind of surprised people. Mar- Marte Mapu was a name floating out there for everybody, but then they snagged them. They get Gonzalez obviously at a great spot. Then you hear all this buzz in training camp and in preseason. Gonzalez is obviously right off the bat in there as a, a day one starter. I'm a little surprised, especially with some of the names ahead of them getting snaps. Why haven't we seen more playing time from White? And I, I, has Mar- Mapu played barely at all? Yeah, so Keon White uh, was going to play a lot more, and that was what the coaches told us, that once Judon went down, 
they were very candid about the fact, especially Gerard Mayo, that Keon White was going to have to play more. So he did play more the week before against New Orleans. Uh, He's really not – it hasn't translated yet for him. I think that a game's still moving pretty fast for him and uh, things like block recognition, uh, pass rush plan, you know, uh, gap integrity, which is really important in the Patriots defense. Like they don't want you doing – uh, you know, your own thing. Like they don't want you freelancing yeah. in this defense where you're running past the quarterback or you're shooting a gap to try to make a play behind the line of, line of scrimmage, but then you're losing, you know, you're leaving that gap open if it doesn't work. Like those are the types of things that they allow like a Judon to do. But if you're a rookie yeah. trying to get into Bill Belichick's circle of trust, that's not something that they're going to really want you to be doing too often. Then he gets a concussion last week, like, I don't know, two or three plays into the game against Vegas. So he's in concussion protocol now. And uh, based off how the Patriots have handled concussions the last three or four years, he's not going to play in the game on Sunday with Mapu. He didn't play. He he went from games. He's been a big part of it. And then some games, barely any snaps. Yeah. So Mapu went from like a 50% pressure, uh, pressure rate, a snap rate guy in uh, weeks four and five to zero last week against the Raiders. So I don't know if it was something like game plan. You know, they did use a lot of like traditional seven man boxes because of Josh Jacobs in the run game. And so there was uh, more beef, I guess, on the field, if you want to put it that way. But they still played a ton of that game in nickel and dime defense. So I I don't really necessarily know uh, why Marty Mapu didn't play. Maybe it was something like during the week, his head wasn't in it or something like that. And they, they try to scale it back. But what I think is interesting about this game and my whole thing with Marty Mapu is that since the spring, I've been screaming at everybody that will listen to me that he's a linebacker, right? Like he's a modern day NFL linebacker. He's, he's not a safety, right? Like in the Patriots, they want to use him. Sometimes I feel like kind of like a Kyle Duggar or, you know, Patrick Chung, like as like one of those safety hybrid players, and I'm like, no, like he, that guy is a linebacker. Like that's a missile downhill linebacker that can play in coverage. Cause he's, you know, smaller, more athletic. And uh, you know, the, com- the comps that I, I kind of use for him are some of the bills guys, like Matt Milano is like 225 pounds and he's playing linebacker at an all pro level. Like you don't need to be Dante Hightower to play linebacker in the NFL. And uh, I think what it makes this matchup so fascinating to me with Mapu is like, didn't they draft him to spy Josh Allen? Like, isn't that why he's here is like to have like a linebacker that can go sideline to sideline and play in a game that's speed based and chase Josh Allen around a little bit. And like, maybe so that Allen doesn't just do ridiculous things against the Patriots all the time anymore. Like that's, that's the whole point. Right. And that if they don't, then yikes, like, I, I, I don't know what they drafted him for, if this isn't the game where they allow him to at least spy him on third downs or something like that, you know, have some sort yeah. of role in this game against Allen. Cause we, we know that they've had a ton of trouble with Josh Allen for three or four years now. And I think a big reason why is because they can't get him on the ground, right? Like he just yeah. extends plays and extends plays and extends plays. And uh, then they can't get him, you know, sack him or push him out of bounds on that. Remember that throw last year, Oh, I remember up here, exactly what you're talking um, about. You know, like, yeah, like on the sideline. And uh, Mac Wilson, who was the linebacker that was in pursuit, that was supposed to knock him out of bounds. Mac Wilson didn't play a snap on defense the rest of the season. They benched him after he, he didn't get Matt, uh, Josh Allen out of bounds. 
So if that isn't that supposed to be Mapu, like that's that's why they that's what they sold yeah. us on, right? It was like this yeah. is why we drafted this guy. And if they, if he's not out there on Sunday doing what they drafted him for, then I, I quite frankly have no clue what they were thinking when they made the pick. Yeah, and in the concussions, has anyone come back this year yet in a one week? There are three players total in the league who have gone into concussion protocol from the previous game and played, but it's like three out of 40. The Almost everyone has at least 40. missed the one game, but there actually have been three who did clear concussion protocol uh, for the Bills. Uh, Evan, last week, uh, Don, um, Don, Kincaid. Don Kincaid was out because he was from the yeah. previous game. He's cleared it now, yeah. uh, but he missed last week for that same reason. So I, I would assume Keon White will yeah. be in that boat, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Evan, yep. you've been here before. You know what time it is now. You have to tell us how you believe this game is going to go, and then we're going to put you on the record for a score prediction for this one. Okay, so when I think about this game from the Bills' standpoint, it reminds me, we were talking earlier on in the show about you know the Patriots dynasty and, and how we dealt with the expectations and, and all that kind of stuff. This game reminds me of a divisional game that the Patriots would just what we used to call take care of business, right? Like it's not, I don't know if the bills are going to come out here and blow the Patriots out by 35 points like Dallas did. Like, I I don't know if I see that sort of game happening. It's a divisional game. The Patriots know them pretty well. Bills know the Patriots pretty well. Uh, I think the bills, you know, I know that the Bills are are headed in a much, much different direction and are in a completely different class than the Patriots. And I think that they are going to come out in this game a lot like they did in that Thursday night game uh, up here last year and just kind of score enough points in the first half to run away from the Patriots and then the second half control the game, control clock, and get out of here with a 24-13 win, right? Like just ho-hum, like, you know, we're better than you. Uh, I don't think that there's any real reason for the Bills to come out in this game and, and like, show their full hand uh, in terms of, like, Ken Dorsey and the offense. Like, I don't know why Buffalo would bother to even, like, do that sort of thing uh, when they have bigger fish good to plays fry. in this game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to no, make the like, media happy. I, I, so the media will stop asking what's wrong. Yeah. With the but that, yeah. I swear to God, like, I'm not making this up. Like, that's legitimately how the Patriots used to approach some of these games, like against yeah. teams, you know, like that were. You can say it against the Bills. Bills. You can say yeah. it. it, it yeah. You said what it was games like against the, the Bills. Bills. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, you know, games like that where... Uh, if they they did roll in some of those games because you know they were just the much better team and the other team made a bunch of mistakes and that, just that could definitely wrong. happen yeah. yeah yeah i think that could definitely happen in this game where like if the bills pass rush really heats up against mac jones that you could have a bunch of turnovers by the patriots and the game could get yeah. out of hand uh but like assuming that the game is uh kept under control by the patriots and by bill o'brien for the most part uh to me this is like 
you know, there's no reason to like unleash Josh Allen as a runner in this game or to, you know, dust off things that they're saving for later on in the year. And uh, the Patriots, I swear to God, they did that. Like they did that at Mm -hmm. this time of year when they knew that they didn't need to like play, uh, you know, their A game. They could just kind of get by with like a B plus game and keep everybody healthy get on the bus and go back to Orchard Park, right? Like that's that's really how I see the Bills approaching this game. And I don't think that they're really in too much jeopardy of like being too cute with it where they get into a position where like they're like not, you know, kind of playing the four corners offense like we used to call it with the Patriots. And then all of a sudden they're in like this like close game late in the fourth quarter. Uh, it could go that way, I suppose, like it did with the Giants, but I, I just don't necessarily – uh, see that happening but uh you know i'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about it like i i think that they, like i said the way that the bills run away with this game is if that pass rush and you know von miller and all those guys are just after mac jones like you know the cowboys worried in that week four game and then the snowballs can happen with the turnovers but if this game kind of goes just as a normal game would go i i kind of see it being a little bit more of like a take care of business type of situation so uh we certainly hope so as well uh, but we need let, that. uh l- let the folks know where they can find more of your good work I, we've had you on i think in many phases of your career now over at patriots.com and doing awesome work yes. for them let the folks know where they can find all your good work yeah absolutely it's uh patriots.com so that's pretty easy in terms of uh the written work um we do uh radio ourselves or podcast ourselves on patriots unfiltered and uh, my show is patriots catch 22 uh we're on tomorrow from noon to four live but then you can also get them as podcasts as well so if you want to hear you know more patriots uh matchup talk and how this game looks from our angle uh click give us a call shoot us an email you know we'll, we'll uh, get you guys on and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you. But I think, you know, this last thing I, I, I want, like, you know, Buffalo fans, I think, should know that no single Patriots fan is like being naive about this team right now. Like the Patriots are in a bad way. And, uh, you know, this is uh, this is going in a direction of like a complete and total blow it the F up and rebuild the entire team. Uh, if this continues. So I'm I'm afraid for this game a little bit on Sunday. Like, I do think that this could be another you know, Dallas Cowboys, Saints situation if the Patriots uh, let this thing get out of hand. I keep warning my oldest son. He picks on the little guy every once in a while, but the little guy is sprouting up. He's got a five. He's turning five here tomorrow. And I'm like, dude, this guy is going to get you one of these days. And I feel like we have finally we were the little brother and now we're finally big enough to give it back to you a little bit here. So feel on yeah. our end. Yeah, this does feel good. I waited a long time for Patriots people to say (laughs) stuff like that. So I appreciate you coming on and and making us feel good about that. Anytime, guys. Anytime. We'll talk to you guys soon. Talk to you, man. Always fun. Anytime, guys. Uh, And and I know, yeah, obviously that means even more for you, Aaron, growing up where you did and and being surrounded by Patriots fans. Uh, Like you said, they've almost taken some of the fun out of it because they're so resigned to the outcome and what yeah. what th- what's going on with this team it's almost taking some of the fun out of it for you 
It definitely has. Cause I wasn't that guy right during the like seven win bills years <laughs> and the trend that like, I was always like, nah, oh, we got, there's nine, 10 wins in this schedule. We can hang with you guys and, and stuff like that. So I always had that uh, false sense of optimism uh, where they really, that's not baked into their DNA. There's the Boston. They're so spoiled and entitled with titles across all their sports that if things aren't to a certain standard, they just go over to whatever, like, Honestly, they're all just paying attention to the Celtics because the Celtics are probably going to be in the running for a title again this year. And so they just they just want whatever team's hot and on the championship. So it isn't as fun, but I could do this for another 17 years that like that would be okay with me. (laughs) Yeah, I I I would. uh, I I think I could get used to it. I think I could get used to it Uh, for sure. Um. So, you know, obviously there's been a lot of angst and frustration in the fan base. I think that, you know, on the one side of it, we fully understand the the want for more consistency, the ability to, you know, have what looks and feels easier in, in what's going on. But it's hard when a lot of that doesn't match up with the overall numbers. What's there? We saw different people nationally, like Mike Sando, chiming in on stuff mm-hmm. and asking questions and being very odd from the outside, trying to wonder why it's why people are as frustrated as they are. Um, I know that you know you were fighting that battle a great deal here. Where is your head at as far as how much valid? frustration or criticism should there be mm-hmm. versus just needing to give it time and thinking that it's something that is evolving and still heading in a very good direction. The conversation is like really muddy right now. Um, I think overall the overwhelming majority of the bills offensive displays actually been probably nets out positive um even in the games where they're not scoring points i, I was saying this to joe marino the other day we were talking about it because we we're talking about the data and it, it i want to tell people that come at me of like oh you just look at charts and post charts like i probably watch an annoying amount of football yeah. uh i'm not a film guy so i'm not going to break down every single film not, i never want to claim that i like to stay in my lane i'm not going to start doing ant and uh eric film breakdowns on twitter but i watch a lot of it i watch back to all 22 i watch four or five patriots games getting ready for this so i also have an eye test involved in this too it's not just charts and data and it's almost i was saying to joe it's like the narrative would be so different if you just changed 10 plays right like even in that giants game dude the gabe davis punch out okorake changed the outcome and the way we're even having tangled Gabe yeah. was about to catch like a 40 yard pass that all Tangled of a sudden we score feet. on the first drive and everything's different. That uh, shot to Dawson Knox uh, up the middle of the field. And now everybody, yeah. I know everybody's gonna make the joke. Oh, well, if it, Dawson Knox could even catch it. Right. Like, cause he dropped one in the end, but that pass to Dawson Knox was there. It was on the, and did, it wasn't even a bad pass by Allen. It was a little low. No, okay, okay, made a a phenomenal play. play on phenomenal the ball. Play. Yes. And so those things happen where you have a good play. It is a positive play. It grades out as a positive play. But the other team makes a better play. And there's really probably a handful of those in the Jags game, too. And some of them are Josh being off by a few inches and a drive ends sure. because he misses Stefan Diggs on a on a wide open route. Whatever the or case is. Leaves it short on a what could have been a game ending sh- leak play to yeah. Dawson Knox. And and I think I don't think it's a lot. I think this is similar to the conversation we had about Josh Allen in week one, right? Where it was like really ugly and we had to tell people, hey, this is only like 15% of the Josh Allen experience is that Jets game. 
And then the other 85% is like really awesome, high level, super efficient quarterback play. I also think that is kind of what's going on now. And we're just so hyper-focused on the bad because it does suck to go three quarters without scoring, but they did score. They two out of the three drives that they had in the second half of that giants game. They scored on, they also missed two field goals and a couple of the drives in the first half had not, not necessarily fluky turnovers, but turnovers where the other team just made a play and there's nothing your offense can do about that. And scoring two touchdowns and a half is still good. You do that. Throughout the game, you're scoring 30 points, right? Like, and 30 points is still good in the NFL, even though we know the Bills can score 40 plus. I think our expectations are high. Our expectations are chasing perfect. You say it all the time, like uh, the pursuit of perfection. Like, don't get yeah. lost in that pursuit yeah. of perfection. Don't let don't let good be the enemy of, or don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Yes, and they've been mostly good, right? And uh, there's been times where it's looked bad. I'm not uh, taking that away from fans that want to be mad. There's things to work on. Eric Turner, uh, I didn't get a chance to watch an Eric show earlier because I was doing stuff. But I'm going to go back and watch it tonight because they're going to probably talk about some of the flaws and some of the things they yeah. want to see more of. I know I'm a fan. I want to see some more motion involved in this. Pre-snap offense. motion. Mo- I think some people have gone a little overboard with this under snap thing and that, yeah, yeah. But Dan-, Dan Orlovsky and Chris Sims are talking about it. Don't get me wrong. I do know the benefits of it. I also know Josh is more comfortable in the shotgun. They also, I'm okay doing the thing that Josh Allen's more comfortable yes. doing. And that, yeah, could we do a little bit more under center? Sure, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay they with that. They are, though. They they just yeah. had their game where they had the most snaps under center and they were doing play action under center. So it is trending that way. I don't think people realize how little the NFL actually operates under center. I think yeah. people should go look at uh, some data to show who, and, and actually the efficiency in the EPA is actually pretty good at a shotgun. Uh, Josh is actually really good at a shotgun. So we're not going to take that away. We're not going to remove that. And some really good runs even came out of shotgun in the second half. So yeah, I think people go too far with all the things. Um, we're not going to have the type of pre-snap motion that Miami's using or even that Kyle Shanahan uses, but I would like more. Uh, they are making a pretty substantial switch on really both sides of the ball, but on this offensive side of the ball, heading towards 12 personnel. And I know there was a big conversation about that that got real muddy this week too of, of saying, well, we need to go back to more 11 personnel because the 12 personnel is not really working. Well, that's not true. They're EPA for 12 personnel passing is as good as it's ever been. The 2020 bills was the best offense we've had right uh, in the Josh Allen era and their EPA in 11 personnel passing, I think was 0.27. I think right now in 12 personnel for the bills, it's 0.26. Like it's just as good as our highest end EPA was out of a So it's a transition. They're working Dalton Kincaid in you. Josh Allen talked about that a little bit in his press conference today about, some of this stuff takes time and reps and learning body language and guys knowing exactly where he expects them to be and what he expects them to do and stuff. And it's all going to come work out. Like uh, Evan was saying, we don't want to be playing the best football that you have in October. The bills have done that actually in the past and it didn't work out all that great. Right. So uh, gaining wins, building it up while you're not playing your best football is a positive thing. They all watch this tape. They all see all the stuff we do. Josh, I would love that Josh said, oh, all these armchair, all pro OCs and stuff like that. And the fans in the stands have no idea what we're doing, what we're trying to go through. And so there are some things to work out along this uh, on this offense. But I do expect them to continue to move forward. And I think it will slowly get better as the year goes on. Yeah, and I think it's okay to look at the fact that that 48 to 20 win over the Dolphins was one of the most 
like dominant wins in franchise history when you mm-hmm. consider like the level of opponent and how highly they were regarded coming in and then to destroy them the way that they did. That was 17 days ago. Yeah. It was 17 days ago. Like that just happened. Yep. And that was culminating a three game stretch where, I, I mean, in three games, they scored 115 points. Yeah. Like that was this year. That was with this offensive coordinator. That was with this exact same offense in mm-hmm. the yes. Would I like it if they just scored 35, 45 points every Preferable. single game? Of course I would. That would be great. I would love it if we scored touchdowns in every single quarter of every single game yeah. and just kept pulling away from teams over and over and over again. That would be awesome. Um, you and I joke about it sometimes. That's why I don't care about college all that all that much because that's what happens at college. Yeah. When you play Furman and you play Georgia Southern, yeah, you just blow teams out all the time. Well, guess what? In the NFL, the other team is filled of 53 professional athletes who are very highly paid yeah. to do their job. So it doesn't happen like that every single week. So, yes, it, you know, when we come in here and a really good defensive coordinator who had the entire week preparing with the guy who basically created our current offense, am I shocked that Wink Martindale all of a sudden had a pretty good game plan because he worked with Brian Dable that whole time? No, I guess it's not shocking. That they figured out some some creative ways to do that and and some things to do it. So one I, other before we get to the know. next, I know there was a um there was a comment made in one of the press conferences that Giants players had said something to the effect of like they knew who the Bills were based on tape, they were who we showed or something like that. They they didn't show anything different. I think that's kind of like a a pretty generic football statement. Yeah. I think that got taken. I like everybody is who they are on film. Like nobody's doing anything totally wild, crazy that you haven't seen. It might be different looks baked into it or yeah. presented in a different formation, but your looks are your looks and your, your yeah. core philosophy. When the dolphins pulled out the wildcat, right. that was a team sure. introducing something new that hadn't been seen before. Like yeah. other than that, like that's not how this works. Yeah. There's <laughs> little wrinkles and stuff, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the bills. Yeah, offense teams is are what it is. Yeah. yeah. Dennis green was right. You are who we thought you were. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how this works. Pretty much. All right. So uh, one of our favorite things we, we have just uh, talked earlier today about how much we enjoy our new fantastic partnership mm-hmm. with the folks over at Lefter, and we love working with Greg and Melissa and the awesome team over there and all the good things they have to do. They have brought out another fantastic design for this week, uh, and it's one that we were both very, very impressed with. Um, so this week, as we take a look at it, the week seven of this season five of the Leftern Game Day series is out now. This week's print is called uh, Priceless. It was designed by the in the traditional tattoo style by local tattoo artist Josh Avery. 100 stamped and numbered prints get released each each week on Instagram and Twitter at Leftern Co. So give them a follow. The website to purchase is uh, www.leftern.co. Uh, there are actually two variants of this print available on the site. Uh, there are only 10 copies uh, you can customize yourself uh, upon receiving. So grab one before they're gone. Um, individual print sales this season help support Buffalo Cares, a local nonprofit that helps find homes for abandoned and sheltered animals locally. Uh, and I, we were actually joking with Greg earlier. I love it. It's a shout out to uh, Sailor Jerry, old school uh, tattoo artist. And, and his design. So I thought that uh, Josh put together a fantastic flash sheet here. Really, really cool to be able to put this together and uh, really uh, a fun one to, to be able to look at with these uh, old school looks. Makes me feel like a bunch of like World War II Marines coming home and getting their tattoos done. Yeah, I do love these styles tattoos. I actually follow a lot of this uh, type of art on Instagram. What I will also say is I don't love most 
bills and football tattoos but that buffalo logo it is pretty sweet i might i would get something like that that's pretty cool when i saw it i was like okay like because usually like the buffalo tattoos don't do it for me that that's a cool one there so shout out to him um because that's hard to do uh and to put all these it's so super creative to like display it in this way but also it be a flyer for a game is really creative yeah, like yeah, for when you guys see the details, like the ribbons on some of them are the Buffalo and New England, and then 1 p.m. Sunday, October 22nd, the way that he tied it in was yeah. still looking like it like when you first see it, it looks like a tattoo flash sheet you'd see when you go into a shop. Um right. and it looks like that kind of design, but really it's a poster for the game. It's a really cool design the way that he did it. So um again, shout out to to Josh and to Greg for working together with uh with the good folks that he puts together each week for these new yeah, designs. Man. So along those lines, and I, you know, honestly, in tying in with the the conversation online and all the other frustration, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Some of the sprinkles we'd like to see. What's your fresh design of the week? What what, what are you looking to see? Dalton Kincaid. Now that he's back like out of this uh, concussion protocol. Um, I want to put to bed this 11 personnel, 12 personnel conversation in that he's People are frustrated that he hasn't come out and been Laporta and gangbusters and blown the, the their fantasy stats out of the water. It's coming, I think. I think it's there. Uh, you know, Eric has shown a number of times where I don't know where in the progression <clears throat> Dalton's supposed to be, but Stefan, you know, Josh made another great point this week that a lot of the progressions in this offense, Stefan Diggs is the first progression and Stefan Diggs open pretty much all the time. There was that uh, rookie watch put out a video of Deontay Banks, who I like Deontay Banks. And I think he's a really good player. I think he's going to be a bright future, bright future, but it was like a 30 second clip of just Stefan Diggs beating him in coverage and being totally open. And a few of them, Josh missed and stuff, but we're getting so frustrated that there's only one ball to go around. Everyone for years, people were like, you got to force feed Diggs," And now they are giving Diggs all these looks and force feeding Diggs, And it does take away from the ability for a guy like Don Kincaid or Dawson Knox or Gabe Davis to get the type of touches and really impacts Hardy and Sherfield, who we thought were going to be more part of this offense. But this, this coming week, I do think with the matchup against this type of defense, I don't think they have the athleticism uh, with some of the guys that are hurt and banged up. And like he said, not being able to have that necessarily single high safety back. I think that you can stretch the seam and do some things with Kincaid in 12 personnel and really showcase to the fans why you went out and drafted this guy and why we want to add to more of this wrinkle into the offense. And it's not just something that they just wanted this year, right? They've been trying to get more of this 12 personnel added to this offense back since Brian Dable was here. And so there was a plan for it in place and I have seen it work. I've seen it in the data. I've seen it in the film, but I want to see it work with Dalton Kincaid and getting a number of reps and being maybe that real number two, three target that we kind of all projected. Uh, I know I was pumping the brakes on the uh, production that we would expect from him as a rookie, but then we saw the flashes. And so my brakes were off and I want to see that now come to fruition. Now that we're a month plus into the season get him going. Um, and I think that that would qualm a lot of the frustration and anxiety that people have that this offense is broken and things like that. If they were able to get him involved. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. And um, yeah, I was curious, Steve Noble here asking if it was going to be a call up of Andy Isabella on Sunday. I was wondering if that was maybe going to be your fresh, my fresh, uh, fresh design of the week. Yes. Um, I muted Andy Isabella's name, both on Twitter <laughs> and in my head. So I apologize. <laughs> so um, I, I think Kincaid is a great call and, um, I think I, I think I want to see even more of a lean in 
to the run game. I think that especially in a game like this where, you know, Evan was right. We, we don't need to see. I, I do think, and I think some people have told themselves that we've gotten rid of Josh running the ball. And all we've done is chosen when to use it in that there's been a conscious decision that, hey, 17 games of Josh running the ball is too much risk and we don't need that. We need Josh to be able to run the ball in the playoffs. And if he's there and healthy, we'll let him do that then. But the difference of the value we get in him running the ball versus the risk of what can occur when that happens isn't a trade-off. So being in that kind of position, I, I think that um, we need the other players to continue to run the ball. We're seeing the best running back production that we've seen in the Josh Allen era. And I know some people have thrown out different trade things of needing to go after people. And, and you know, I, I think that's fine. We saw the rumor of signing Leonard Fournette with the Damian Harris injury. And, I, I get but it. That was like, linked was, to maybe Ty Johnson. They were worried. Correct. He was going there was to be... a rumor that Ty Johnson was going to get claimed off the practice squad. So um, I don't know if that's an indicator that Ty Johnson is going to get called up for this game, maybe. Uh, maybe as a third running back. But honestly, the combo of James Cook and Latavius Murray have looked really good. Latavius yeah. Murray has no right to look as explosive as he does at 33 years old. Mm -hmm. Like he's still a shot out of a cannon on some of those runs where I, I just, his acceleration at his age and size, 6'3", 230. How does he get going that quickly to get up to speed? It's really impressive. Um, and James Cook continues to look really, really good. So and I want to lean in even further there. The more we do uh, along those lines, the more impactful that the play action can be. Uh, we know that we're good at play action either way, but that there's just so much more benefit downfield when you get those safeties to suck up. Evan talked about the fact they don't have a true center fielder. They're asking two box safeties to play center field, and that's the exact kind of thing we want. Run at them, run at them, run at them, get them to bite up on play up. action, hit Gabe Davis, hit uh, maybe called up Andy Isabella uh, on, on a deep uh, bomb. For, for the game to be able to see where it goes. Or, hey, the, maybe Dalton Kincaid's first touchdown. There we go. Uh, on the running game, uh, as people know, the people that watch the show, uh, my neighbor or my mailman, Charlie and I, mm. were having a conversation here. This week. He's a big James Cook guy. Shout just out, like, Yeah, just like uh, producer Chris. Started the same vein, been telling me James Cook's got to get more and more. I was kind of pushing back a little bit. Like, I love Cook. I love everything he's been doing. But my thing was, like, I also want to see Murray get more, right? So where are you in terms of that split and load management here as the season goes on? Because I do want to see, I want to see both more and it almost, I don't want a 50 50 split necessarily, but like yeah. I, I do, I think have the way Murray's playing also gives you that load management so that cook doesn't have to be a bell cow and take more additional carries and hits than he needs to. So that he's ready late in the season when you need run game even more. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, right now, uh, on the season, James Cook has 75 carries, Latavius Murray 31, Damian Harris 23. Um, so it's not quite like 75-25, but it, it's close to that in yeah. in the percentage that he has in some of the 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 games here. Um, you know, I, I think that James Cook should be the lead back. James Cook should be getting the most touches. I don't think it's crazy that we could you know, have it be closer to 60% or high fifties, like what we saw with Devin Singletary for many seasons mm -hmm. uh, where he was, I think it's both where both of us kind of projected that this could go. Um, and I think right now, 
if you had told me that James Cook was going to average 60.5 yards per game, I would have been shocked. I, I would have been impressed. You know, that's putting him on pace for a thousand yard rushing season. I, I don't know that I thought he was going to get a thousand yards no. uh, from a rushing standpoint. So um, I think that he's still doing some good things. He's, you know, getting it's 23 yards per uh, receiving game. So he's on, on pace more for of another that 400 there. Too. Um, so, I mean, right now, James Cook is on pace for like a 1400 yard. Yeah. season from scrimmage uh that would be higher than any Devin Singletary season yeah. as a Buffalo Bill um so I think he deserves that he's still running at a very efficient rate uh he's still making very good plays I think it can be a little more balanced I I don't want to shift it and have him not be the full primary back but I think mm-hmm. 75 to 31 is a little bit more than what we needed to be. I think that could easily be, even if you took nine of those and it was, you know, um, 66 to 40. Sure. That that kind of mix between him and Latavius Murray. Um, I think just a slight shift like that. I wouldn't mind Murray getting a few more touches just to keep Cook fresh and to yeah. continue to be as explosive as he is and still be that lead back. Yeah. And um, not even fresh in games, Murray has earned it. fresh for the season, right? Yeah, for yeah. the long haul. Yeah. Um, and I, so... The names that got thrown out there, people like you know, you know, Leonard Fournette is Latavius Murray is straight up better than Leonard Fournette. Anybody who was excited about that, we have the good version of what people think Leonard Fournette is right now. We have that. Mm -hmm. Latavius Murray is the good version of what you think Leonard Fournette is. Latavius Murray is always already better than uh, than Leonard Fournette is. Um, If they're going to do anything crazy. Uh, I know I had kind of joked around about it, looking at the contract, and I, I believe Joe Mer- Joe Marino had said it on his show. I, if Tennessee, who is now two and four, and in last place, and Ryan Tannehill's hurt, if they are going to make Derrick Henry available, I, I I would be interested. I would want to find out more information about it i looked it's about 5.3 million dollars for the rest of the year uh some of these other deals that have happened with other teams the other teams eat a great deal of the money to get the better draft pick um you know if if tennessee makes it that it's not a big financial hit and it's a a fourth round pick for derrick henry is that i i don't think it's a need I don't it's not a need. I don't know. Have to have. I think right now Cook and Murray are, are doing very very well. Yeah. I would be hard pressed not to not to be interested in. Well, we could add Derrick Henry. Yeah, I mean, you always want to add more uh, talent where you can. I just the the way I see it with the two the backs they have. What, Murray, an underrated thing about Murray is he's uh, he also can catch out of yes, the back right? like yeah. he's Actually, he's right more now. of a versatile back than just i think a lot of people think of him as oh he's just big and runs straight downhill but he's, he's a very good receiver yeah he's a good receiving back and so i think he gives you that flexibility where if you were in a pinch um and needed him to start a game like you don't have to change your offense that much for a guy like that where i do think a derrick henry as talented as he is and what he can do and obviously his body of work you know what he's capable of doing what he's going to do and your offense kind of has to just run the way that Derrick Henry runs and you yeah. can't do necessarily all the things that James Cook can do or that you can do with Latavius Murray. And so I think that that puts you maybe at a weird spot in this offense where, yeah, you get this tool, but then it's real specific. And when he's in, 
it maybe feels like you're showing your hand a little bit. Um, that's just the first thought that pops into my mind. But yeah, I wouldn't sure. turn down talent. You know, like, no, of course we, we'd figure out like we we would be going crazy and excited and yeah. figuring out a way to make it work. But it, obviously, they don't need for that to happen. It's just a name that has been floated around there. I know um, I Austin rather- Gale. Yeah. Austin Gale actually mentioned we could talk to your brother. He was uh, his dream trades. Uh, I think his dream trade was Derrick Henry to the Ravens, um, but it was Jalen Johnson to the Bills. Uh, I was getting say, yeah. Bears cornerback Jalen Johnson. I'd be more interested maybe in tr- addressing some of the what you've lost on the defensive yeah. side of the ball, yeah. even though defense still looks good. I wouldn't mind adding a linebacker to the yeah. mix. Obviously, another now one tech D tackle, uh, another interior. coverage linebacker, another another even if it's not a starting corner immediately, another corner who can step in and play and yeah. isn't. So we're know, bringing back Levi. We're bringing back Levi Wallace. Is that what we're uh, saying? You want to know what? Yeah. Yes. Like that I is mean, actually the ideal kind of player. He that I would for Pittsburgh. Not crazy. Doesn't even like I do think he would start. I think it'd be him and Benford that would start. Probably. But like, you know, would just be like, hey, a good, steady. The floor. You know, you just keep the floor. Dependable guy to be able to be in there. Um, Because everybody brings up like Patrick Sertain. Of course we like. Yes. yes. <laughs> Do you think we should go trade for a 23-year-old All-Pro? Yeah. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. I would take two. Person. That's a, Yeah, maybe there's two of them we could go get. Hey, the Jets are struggling. Maybe they'll trade a Sauce Gardner. Yeah. This idea. That Patrick Sertain is available is so patently absurd. It's crazy. Like, yeah, the, he's untouchable. Like, not at those elite is, positions. Like, he is arguably the best cornerback in the NFL Our, on a rookie contract. The Broncos have so many problems trading him away. It's like the the Family Guy mystery box thing. Is like we could we could have Patrick Sertain, or you could take the mystery box. The mystery box could be anything. It could even be Patrick Sertain. Yeah. Like. It's come on, come on, people. <laughs> yeah, that one it's, isn't it's happening. Yeah, you got to look at the more closer to the bottom of the barrel. But yeah, it's uh, it's about you don't need the top end guys, and the Bills aren't going to make those types of moves for top. I don't think. I think that uh, if, Mike if, uh, Dante Jackson is right there with Levi Wallace is another, another guy. He was a, a free agent target when we were looking yep. at potential free agent. He's the kind of guy that I could see being a feasible piece jalen johnson from chicago is actually probably even slightly a tier above levi and dante jackson but those kind of guys where they come in they start it makes it so dane jackson is now again a really valuable depth piece but doesn't have to be a starter and we feel really good about where that is and dane with that these injuries are the ones that scare me maybe the most uh the types of not scare me the most but like you don't know when plantar fasciitis is going to stop flaring like you can do yeah, treatment, correct, you can correct. do a bunch of stuff, you can hit it with steroids, whatever. Some it is. guys are totally fine. And then um, yeah, yeah Mike, Mike Lucas, the athletics saying that they there is no if Patrick Sertain did get moved, it would be for the Jalen Ramsey trade. When Jalen Ramsey went from Jacksonville to the Rams, it was two firsts and a fourth. Yeah. There's no chance he goes for less than that. So if it's two firsts, a second, and Kyrie Elam, that's the kind of trade it would be. Yeah. to be able to trade for Patrick Sertain. And even then, I don't know that they would do it. And then <sighs> once you get him, he's going to want $25 million a year. Correct. Because he's the best cornerback in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's unrealistic. Those are premium positions. Yeah, of course. If, if yeah. we can trade for him, by all means. I, hell, I would give up two firsts, a second, and Kyrie Elam to get him because he's the best cornerback in the NFL. Yeah. I think they would still turn that down. Yeah. Here's the other thing, like... <laughs> This was another conversation I was having with Mailman Charlie. I don't know, like, 
I don't know that the Bills need high-end cornerback play. Yes, it would be nice. Obviously, we want high-end, but what they really need are raising the floor of guys like Levi Wallace or Dante Jackson that can come in and play within the scheme. I think they have so much trust in the scheme. It's it, They are going to play it how they play it. If you just have guys that fit that mold, I think that people like Sean McDermott and Butler can get more out of less than maybe anyone else in the NFL. And so in terms of asset management, yes, I would do it too, Greg, yeah. but I think that this is a position they can <laughs> kind of patch together and figure out with less. Yeah. Uh, and I would say T-Dobbs here uh, asking about a killer nose tackle. I am going to trust the man that posted it himself. Daquan Jones said he's going to be back. I'm going to trust that he's going to be back. Um, if you want to read an interesting article, Kyle uh, Trimble over at Banged Up Bills actually laid out really good detail of, of the timeline and how reasonable it is, not reasonable, how possible it is that Daquan Jones would be would be back for the playoffs. Um, I, I, I'm going to put my faith and hope in that, that Daquan Jones can continue his breakout career season yeah. in the playoffs this season hopefully he's not just uh drinking that von miller optimism. von miller kool-aid yeah yeah <laughs> all right we gotta do some so, predictions yeah uh quick i i gotta give what shout out to some i wish i knew who it was someone posted a reply on von miller's thing saying if we were looking at the the earth destroying meteor barreling down on the planet Von Miller would tell you everything's going to be okay and we're going to play on Monday. <laughs> yeah, that meteor ain't touching us. Um, who went first last? I think, I think you. I think it's your turn. It's I my think, turn. Uh, real first. quick, I want to. Carl did do a, a super chat here asking if we're worried about the injuries. I will say I'm not yet because today was a walkthrough. So yeah. it's hard to know how. Um, conservative they are with those things. I will monitor that as the week goes. Obviously, Ed. Uh, Rousseau and Dane not getting work today is something to monitor, but mm -hmm. I won't be worried until I see later in the week. Yeah, the Ed one is definitely on my radar. Uh, yeah, sure. being new with the foot or with the toe, Groot looked good to me. Yeah. Like, he, I assume that's monitoring his foot injury. treatments. We're gonna see a lot of that it. for a couple weeks. It could be, it could go on, especially in the early week practices. But the Dane Jackson one is concerning to me. Um, this is one part that mailman Charlie's not going to like to hear. He was mad at us for dumping on Kyrie Elam a little bit, but I don't want to see Kyrie Elam continue to be rolled out there as a starter right now. I, I like I'm Dane Jackson and Benford uh, for that, for this defense. And so his foot continuing to be an issue. I hope it doesn't flare up throughout the week here and him being limited is good, uh, but I want to see him trending towards playing again and maybe Kyrie Elam still gets that start. And, but I want to have Dane Jackson available in case something goes the other way. Um, you're, you're getting real thin at that cornerback position now with Trey down. And so I'd like to get him back, but the other guys kind of watch and monitor. I'm not worried about group at Oliver. Maybe we'll see how it goes. It's weird. Cause last year it was like all calves injuries yeah. and stuff and like now it's all like feet injuries this year yeah i did which is, is not great i don't love feet, feet injuries no. um i wouldn't read it that way this question from pops mafia I, oliver couldn't do a walkthrough with this though it's not couldn't do like that simply hey we're just giving him the day off he's not even going to do the walkthrough now don't get me wrong it also could be yeah that he is that injured but i would not connect those things as a direct correlation that oh he wasn't capable of doing a walkthrough today right um oftentimes they, they'll manage that I, as a matter of fact i feel pretty strongly that 
Dane Jackson and Gregory Rousseau is more maintenance of the existing injuries that they've had. So they don't have them do extra work when they don't have to. We don't know if that is the case of that or not, but it, it could be. I wouldn't yeah. read into that, that he wasn't capable of doing a walkthrough. Yeah. Uh, Give me a score. Into predictions here. Honestly, I'm, it's very similar to what Evan was talking about. I yeah, think. My, uh, me too. <laughs> I do think um, it is a take care of business. I don't know that it's going to be gangbusters, blow the doors open, but I think that Bills come out. I think they score quick. They score early. All this talk about okay. starting slow is going to be the theme in the room. Um, I think that they address that. They come out with some nice scripted stuff. I think they get some points on the board, make you feel a little bit better. I think they get up pretty early in this game. Um, go into halftime, maybe with, I don't, I don't even know if the Patriots get a touchdown in the first half. I could see it being something, uh, 17 to six, 17 to three going into half. And then Bill sort of, I think coast through that second half. I have it 27, 13 for this game. Um, so close to Evan had it, what? 24, 13, 24, 13. Yeah. So I think it's right around there. Uh, maybe a late touchdown by the Patriots and something in part of the game that doesn't really matter. Some garbage time stuff, but I think they're able to handle this team. Patriots have, I do respect their defense. I still respect Bill Belichick and what he's able to do. I think there's going to be moments where this offense struggles and balls get tipped and some fluky stuff happens, but at the end of the day, and I know I said this uh, with the Giants. I just, I do think the the depth is really lacking in New England, and they just seem like a team that's a little bit lost and doesn't have any type of identity on that offensive side of the ball. And I just don't think that you know the Bills, the Giants got in on them, but there was a lot of different things that went into that game. Dayball having hip familiarity, yeah. uh, Wink going up against Dayball's offense all the time. The Bills traveling back from London that. I hate to make excuses, but that travel back and forth, that's a real thing. There, there's something there. Um, a lot went into what I think we saw from that performance. And it wasn't as bad as we as it looked or felt or, or ended up being. And so I think, you know, a lot of this national media noise, I know the Bills say they don't hear it. They hear it. Uh, Sean McDermott oh, hears yeah. every they single do. thing. And I, I do think that that's going to fuel them to take care of business against a divisional opponent that they have been kind of be able to bully over the last few years. Yeah. Um, RJ's crazy thinking that the Patriots have a receiver capable of exposing cornerback depth. That's adorable, RJ. Um, so the two uh, predictions, the last two that were here, actually have one number from each of mine. Roy had it 24 to 10. Uh, here, Jackie had it 28 to 9. I have 24 to 9. Oh. Um, I don't think the weather is going to be awesome. I think it's supposed to be like 55 and rainy and kind of nasty. Um, I think that the Patriots defense still has some uh, good elements to it and, and some things that we need to be careful of. And their offense is really, really bad. And I don't think they're going to be able to score. Um, and that was the case with the Giants that ultimately um, we made it look closer than what it was, but they still scored nine points and still didn't score a touchdown. And I, I don't think it's going to be terribly different with this team. I just don't think Tyrod's probably better than Mac. Yeah, Tyrod is better than that. That's not even a question. Tyrod yeah. Taylor is better than Mac Jones. Um, and Daniel Jones, I think. And probably he's probably the best <laughs> out of those three. Yes, he's probably better than both Joneses. Um, I just don't think that they're in a position to be able to put up points uh, with, with what they had there. And RJ, you're that's completely wrong. The Giants wide receivers are way better than the Patriots receivers. Way, way better. Um, so we'll see where uh, where this thing goes. I just you know, this is a game that I don't think is going to be terribly exciting. I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, some 
barn burner that we're you know going back and rewatching years later i think it's going to be like what evan talked about kind of a take care of business game they're going to do what they need to do i don't think it's going to be in i I don't think it's going to be in question like this giants game was i think they're going to be more controlling than what this last game was and they'll move on find a way to win and get ready for the next game yeah yep all right. Um, one last thing. So the, all of you that are in here watching, we do ask you guys to give us a like. It really helps a lot. Make sure you hit press the like button on the way out. And I know many people ask us for the best way to help us, and that's to sign up to do one. Many people ask us the best way to support us here at Cover One, and that is to sign up to become a Cover One One Pass member. That contribution helps give us the access to all the data and information we use to create the content that you love. And I think most importantly, brings you into our community of insiders. It's a great community based on Slack. I know a lot of people don't want to be on social media anymore or be in on those conversations. We bring all of it to you right in our great community of educated fans. And most importantly, you get access to our content creators. Even better than that, everybody loves merch. You get awesome t-shirts, a cool decal, and a letter from the Cover One team signed directly to you. All for $60. That gets you the entire season, next year's free agency and draft. 60 bucks. Click the link in the description. Cover One Insider. Become one today. All right, Aaron. Any final messages for the people? Let's just try to be nice to I, like. <laughs> I know I come off certain ways. Uh, I'm passionate and I believe in the things that I believe in and things I see. But like, I, I I'm okay with everybody also having opposing opinions, and I understand the frustration. We said on the post game show like the angst of nervous mafia and stuff like that. I know I get frustrated with that, but this team makes you feel that way. I understand why people are frustrated and want to yell and want to point fingers at stuff, but we're all on the same page here. We all want the same things. We all want oh, this yeah. team to be good and enjoy wins. And uh, let's, yeah, let's try to keep it nice and be nice to each other. That's my only advice. Yeah. I, I would love for a game that's more comfortable. I think even if it is some of the scores that we talked about 24 to nine, 27 to 13, 24 to 13, those kind of things, just be a comfortable, easy win where everybody's feeling pretty good. It doesn't, don't get me wrong. Is it, would it be cool if we have another perfect game and it's 48, 13, like the playoff game was I sure that would be great, but just be a comfortable, easy win, get ready to move on, take care of business. Don't have it be in doubt. Don't have the Patriots have the ball with a chance to win the game late in the game. That kind of thing. Just be out of reach and comfortable. Uh, and I think everybody will be in good shape and we'll, we'll go from there. This is this is the biggest a Buffalo Bills team has been favored in New England since before Drew Bledsoe. It's all the way back to the Kelly Thurman, Bruce Smith days prior to Drew Bledsoe back in 93 was the last time the Bills were this big. They're an eight-and-a-half-point favorite in Foxborough. We're going into one of the you know, traditional powerhouses of the NFL, the most dominant franchise in the league the last 25 years, and we're an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. That's pretty cool. It is fun. Yeah. I All right, guys. We appreciate you very much. The chat was awesome tonight. Uh, shout out to producer Chris Kepner for helping uh, keep all your uh, comments yeah. flowing on the screen. But on behalf of Chris and Aaron Quinn, I am Greg Thompson. You've been listening to Cover One Buffalo, and we are out.